0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory glory to you, Lord. King Herod heard of the disciples preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet like the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about this, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, praise, praise to you, O Christ. Christ. Some people don't get a fairy tale ending or a happily ever after. Four years ago, Doug and I were vacationing in California for his 50th birthday. One night on a dark, remote road in Northern California, we came upon an accident that had just taken place. A car was upside down in the ditch, wheels still spinning. I clearly remember Doug saying, this isn't good. This isn't good. We pulled into a gravel driveway across the road and we went to investigate. We turned to see the driver of the other vehicle walking towards us on the road, shaken but uninjured, the flashlights of our cell phones illuminating the smoke and the mist rising up from the road. He was very agitated, and I tried to settle him and keep him calm while Doug went to check on the other car. Inside, Doug found a man lying upside down on the inside roof of his car. Doug checked his pulse confirming our worst fears that the man was, in fact, dead. Because we were so remote, cell service was terrible, and it took some time before emergency vehicles arrived. We stayed in the dark ditch beside the car until help came. When they finally came, we were free to go. We drove back to our hotel in the darkness without saying a word how to even begin processing what we had just witnessed. For four years, I searched news articles and public records for accidents occurring in Point Arena on May 1, 2017 at 10.30 p.m. Time and time again, my search came up empty. The identity of this man remained unknown to us, which became a source of unresolved anguish for us surfacing in nightmares and hypothetical conversations of what if. A month ago today, our family traveled to California. I officiated at the wedding of an LCM student in Bakersfield, and then we turned north towards the Redwoods. As we neared Mendocino and approached the hotel on the coast where we had stayed four years prior, Doug asked me if I wanted to visit the site of the accident. I hesitated and said yes. We then shared with the boys our memories of that night. We drove to the site of the accident and pulled into the gravel driveway across from where the car had landed upside down in the ditch. After a moment, Jacob said, Look, there's a cross over there in the ditch with a name on it. We piled out of our car and made our way to the cross, and there we saw a name painted on the cross. Mark A. Stacy. Died May 1st, 2017. Finally. Finally, after four years of searching, we had a name. We searched the web. And I discovered that Chapel-by-the-Sea Mortuary in Fort Bragg had done his funeral, so I called the director and explained our situation. Look, I said, for four years, we have been wanting to tell this man's next of kin that he didn't die alone in the dark that night, that we stayed with him until help came. If I write an email, would you please forward it? She said, he had a wife, you know, and whatever you write, I'll forward And so Doug and I finally got to write an email that had been four years in the making, if only to offer some small comfort to his wife that Mark was not alone in the ditch that night he died. I take some comfort in the reality that the last unmedical touch Mark had was that of my husband gently searching his wrist to find a pulse. We were unable to help, but we were there with him. All I know of Mark is that he was 52 when he died, that his mother Xenia lives in Georgia where he was born, and that he has a daughter named Shelley. I do not know the name of his wife who received my email. I share this with you today because whenever I think of mother Xenia and daughter Shelley, and wife of unknown name, none of whom I will likely ever meet, my womb literally aches. My womb aches for a mother who lived to see her child die and aches for a daughter who called her father, Papa. My womb aches for his widow receiving a terrible call at midnight and having to call her only daughter. Even though Doug and I have had some closure for finally learning Mark's name and passing on our message, there is little solace for the others in this story, some named and some unnamed, whose lives tragically and suddenly changed that night. There is no fairy tale ending here, no triumphant resolution, no happily ever after for this couple whose life together ended abruptly on May 1, 2017, on a dark road in Point Arena, California. The Bible is full of fairy tale endings, There are even some happily-ever-after stories. There are stories of rewarded patience, such as between Abraham and Sarah, who finally gives birth to the long-promised and long-expected Isaac. There are stories of persistent love, such as between Rachel and Jacob, who works 14 years in order to earn her hand in marriage. There are stories of Hannah, praying desperately for God to give her a child until she finally conceives Samuel. There are miraculous and triumphant stories also, the stuff of legend, fairy tale, such as Moses parting the Red Sea while Miriam sings songs of victory. There's the giant Goliath felled by a single stone cast by a very young David. Yes, there's David making a name for himself, first as shepherd, then as chosen and anointed, and then king, as warrior, as poet, and so much more. And yet, David... Oh, David, beloved and celebrated by so many, but not by all. There is a tiny verse in our first reading from second Samuel that is easily overlooked and so very important and that is verse 16. We see that the Ark of God has finally been delivered to its resting place in Jerusalem, the city of David. There is food and drink and widespread celebrating and dancing. David dances before God with leaping and jumping and spinning and Mikhail watches from a window and instead of being impressed, or dazzled, her heart is full of hatred. She despises him. Not dislikes, but despises. Mikhail is David's wife. Well, one of them. One of many. But she is his first wife. Against her better judgment, Mikhail loves David. In fact, She's the only woman in the Bible said to love a man who's not her son in 1 Samuel 18. She really, truly loves David. But David loves himself and also many other women. But David does not love or even pretend to love Michal, and she's devastated. She's humiliated as her own father uses her to trap David, and yet David escapes, leaving her to the devices of her often violent father. And then her father uses her body to punish David, giving her to another man as a wife, even though she's still married to David in the eyes of the law and in her heart. Now she sleeps with a man whom she does not love while still dreaming of David, praying that he will rescue her, which he finally does, but only with two other women in tow. And then from the sidelines, she watches as David impregnates Abigail and Ahinoam. She watches as he impregnates Makkah several times. Passing over her yet again, she watches as he impregnates Hagit and Abital and Eglah. She watches as David lusts after and seduces Bathsheba, impregnates her, murders her husband, takes her as wife. Mikhail remains unacknowledged, unnoticed, unloved. Her identity is determined by the desires of the men around her, whether it be her father Saul or her husband David. Caught between the houses of Saul and David, she has no identity and yet she cannot help herself. Mikhail loves David, but she also despises him not least of all because she has no child with him. She isn't barren. At least she doesn't know that she's barren because her story reveals that David never even gives her the chance to conceive a child with him. He barely notices her, much less beds her. And so when she sees him dancing, full of swagger and struts, full of hubris and jubilation, wives and women and concubines fawning triumphantly over him. She despises him, this one to whom she gives her heart and offers her womb, but is instead rejected. Unlike many other women in the Bible, Mikhail receives a name, but she receives no fairy tale ending, no happily ever after. Instead, she sits alone at a window, watching her tragic life unfold before her very eyes. And some wombs, mine included, ache for her. She who was never even given the chance to conceive and therefore attain status in her world and confirm her title as first wife. She who is not invited to join the dance, but instead watches from a window. She who questions her own sense of worth and value and fears for her future. She whose body is used as a pawn by others to gain power. David's rejection robs Mikhail of her fairy tale ending, befitting the First Lady of King David. This resonates with so many realities of our day, as we reverberate from the hashtag MeToo movement still and shudder to see Bill Cosby walk free because his constitutional rights were violated, never mind the bodies of the women he violated. And as we see Roe versus. Wade die a slow and painful death, as courts take up cases that challenge women's reproductive rights. In some ways, our world is vastly different from that in which Mikhail lived, but in other ways, it is the same. Our wombs don't belong to us any more than Mikhail's belong to her. Women still fight over who has control over our wombs and still fight for how that determines worth and value in our world. And so often, the price paid is a fairy tale ending, however small as scarlet letters are forever sewn on the bosom of any woman forced to make a choice regarding her own body. We identify with you, Mikhail, as you sit watching from your window, both loving and despising this man who owns your heart but won't even look your way. Our wombs ache for you in empathy. We whose wombs hurt and cramp and bleed are impregnated, are violated. We whose wombs contract and deliver and maybe become cancerous and maybe are surgically removed and all eventually become barren. We identify with you, Mikhail. We whose wombs are public property, the rights of which... Determined by judge and jury. We sit with you, Mikhail. Rejected by your love, stigmatized by your world, terrified of your future, heartbreaking, womb aching, no fairy tale ending. We understand, Mikhail. God understands. We all know the story of David. We're raised with it. We learn about him in Sunday school. We're familiar with the legendary story of the relationship between God and David. But what of the ones that David leaves in his wake? What of Mikhail? Is she not also a child of God? Is she not also created by God's own hand? Did she choose to have her identity determined by her ability to reproduce? Did she choose to be cast aside and rejected? Mikhail is not alone. There's another in the Bible who was also cast aside and rejected, despised, and left alone. And that is Jesus. So then, the God of David is also the God of Mikhail, the God who knows what it feels like to be abandoned and despised. When you look behind the kingly bravado and the puffed-out chest, when you peek behind the dancing and the leaping and the tambourine, when you peer into the window and see the sad and lonely face of Mikhail and see her own face sitting beside her, see also the face of the God of King David, Mikhail's God and yours. Know that even though you might not get a fairy tale ending or a happily ever after, God is your God. At the lonely window, gazing out at a world of judgment and power plays, the very God before whom David dances is actually sitting next to me, Kyle. When life flips you upside down and heartache and even death are at your door. God is with you in the ditch, in the darkness. When you sit at the window watching life pass you by, feeling inconsolable and without hope, God is with you. When your womb aches for friends and strangers, for distant lands and for the world, God is with you. Whether history determines you to be named or unnamed, hero or villain, winner or loser, the God of David and the God of Mikal is your God. Neither fairy tale ending nor name nor title determine your worth or value, whether you be exalted king or rejected first lady. All are precious. Amen.